everyone. I'm Nicole Rojas, and welcome to Effective Animal Advocacy on AAA Radio. Our guest today is John Oberg. John is a longtime animal advocate and expert in social media engagement for animal advocacy. John began his work with vegan outreach by engaging with the public by handing out pamphlets. This led him to taking over the social media advocacy for vegan outreach in 2014. In 2018, John became an independent animal advocate with over 200,000 followers across Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. In 2021, John teamed up with Advocacy Collaborative to help people master Twitter and Instagram to help change the world. Thank you, John, for being here today and speaking to us about how to become more effective animal advocates. Nicole, it's really nice to be here with All About Animals Radio. Uh, love the work that you're doing, and I'm excited to chat with you about the work that I'm doing. You know, I always like to begin um, with like a backstory. I'd love to learn what inspired you to become an advocate for animals. So I grew up with a, a deep love and compassion for animals. And the reason is not a coincidence that my mom was a big animal lover herself. And she really taught me to speak up for the most vulnerable, to speak up for the animals who couldn't speak for themselves to protect them when I couldn't, or when I could, um, because they couldn't protect themselves necessarily. And so we did all kinds of things growing up to help animals. We would, you know, help and, uh, you know, rehabilitate or re rehome injured animals. Um, we would protest on just hunts. We would do, um, deer, uh, we would, um, we would, uh, do, uh, all kinds of things. We would do TNR, which is uh, trap, neuter, and release. Yeah. Uh, we would do lots of really great things for animals. Um, it wasn't for a long, long time though, however, until I realized that my efforts could be exponentially more impactful if I chose to stop eating animals. And, uh, and so it was uh, upon realizing this at about age 20, that I realized I could make a really big difference for animals um, every single day by just choosing to not eat animals. And then I can make that impact even further by getting others to become vegan themselves. And I realized that it was great for, you know, the first two decades of my life where I'd, you know, save a few animals here and there through my mom's, through my mom and I's actions. But um, as somebody who was actively encouraging other people to make really big decisions that helped animals. I could help hundreds, thousands, even millions be spared from a lifetime of suffering. Oh, so beautiful. So that's how you became involved with vegan outreach. Yes. So I became a uh, vegan in October of 2009. And I, uh, I was, it was kind of like a, over the course of like 10 months or so, I became, I went from vegetarian to vegan. Um, I didn't really know anything about factory farming though. I didn't know about how egg laying hens were treated or dairy calves or dairy cows. And so what I did was I watched a movie called Earthlings and Earthlings is a documentary narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. And in this film, um, Joaquin Phoenix talks about, uh, the ways in which animals are abused, especially farm animals. And it was really eye-opening for me. And for that reason, I chose to go vegan. And I realized right off the bat that being vegan was great and all, but if I wanted to make a really big impact, encouraging other people to go vegan 
could exponentially help more animals. And so I decided to get involved with activism that was going on locally. At the time, I was going to college, Arizona State University, and I decided to um, do basically a, a wide variety of kinds of advocacy. I was doing vegan food giveaways, doing vegan demonstrations, protests. Um, and one of the things I was doing was leafletting. And I really realized that leafletting was actually really impactful. And I found it to be fun. And I'm one of those sickos who found enjoyment uh, in, uh, in handing out leaflets. But um, we would hand out these pamphlets uh, that talked about how animals are being treated in factory farms and to encourage people to eat vegan food. And in a good day, I could hand out a few thousand of these leaflets. And wow. I realized, wow, you know what? This is a really cool, impactful way to reach the general public. And I got a job when I graduated college actually with vegan outreach, traveling around North America, basically living out of my car, going from college to college, handing out pamphlets. And I did this uh, for a while. And one 12 month span, I actually handed out um, over a quarter of a million leaflets um, wow. in, directly to the hands of individuals. And, and I loved the work. I found it to be really effective. And, you know, of course, I didn't think that I was creating, you know, a quarter of a million vegans, but I realized that I got a lot of people think about animal issues who otherwise wouldn't have thought about animal issues. Some of those people maybe went um, from vegetarian to vegan. Some of those people went from meat eater to vegetarian. Some of those people went from meat eater to vegan activists themselves. So I knew I was making a pretty big impact. And I hear from people all the time who were impacted by the work and I loved it. Wow, really? That's amazing. Yes, yes, it was great. You know, it was it was really satisfying because I'd often hear from people who say, oh, I got a leaflet from you or from somebody else, you know, last semester or a year or two ago, and I'm vegan now. And it was so, it was so nice because of course, you know, this is a numbers game, right? You're yeah, focused on getting as many leaflets as possible out, just like with social media, getting as many views as possible. And so sometimes we can get lost in these numbers as advocates and not think about the individual impact that we're making. But it was great in my position and I feel very fortunate to have been able to uh, to hear from people just about every single day that, oh, wow, I've been impacted from this before. Or you handed me a leaflet at 9 a.m. this morning and it's 1 p.m. now. I haven't eaten meat in four hours and I'm never doing it again. So I'd hear things like that all the time from people. And it, it really made me feel good and, and feel empowered and, and confident that that's work that is worth doing. I I always become a little bit gun shy when I'm handing out leaflets, like I've done it for circuses and I've done it um, to speak about endangered species. How do you approach people when you're in the public like that and handing out leaflets to engage them a bit? Because most people don't want to be bothered, it seems like. Yeah, well, I don't do too much leafletting nowadays, um, uh, but I do still find it to be a uh, effective, impactful type of advocacy. And as far as what I did when I was in my leafletting heyday, um, my efforts were to get as many leaflets out as possible and not to have conversations with people. And okay. so, you know, I wasn't opposed to having conversations, but it was never my number one priority. And if I would have conversations with people, I would try to wrap them up pretty quickly so I could focus on getting leaflets out into the hands of people. Because this is a numbers game. And so uh, I, it was important for me to, at the end of the day, reach 2,000 people, not 800 people, or you know, 500 people, not you know, uh, 147 people. 
Now, I wanted as many people reached as possible. And so um, there was there's definitely like strategic ways in which you can hand out leaflets to and, and actually act engage in leafletting that make you a more effective leafletter. Like for example, you do a straight arm. Um, it denotes confidence. Uh, you make eye contact. You want to have the right balance between friendliness and assertiveness um, and, and so on. And so uh, there are different little tips and tricks here that can make you um, become a better, more impactful leaf letter. And that, and that's, um, and, and, you know, a lot of these tips and tricks can also be applied to um, speaking to people in other ways, like in the digital era, where now social media advocacy has become more of the, the um, platform in which we are reaching people. And certainly the way that I focus on reaching people in the general public. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you're just basically taking those same principles, bringing them into the social media platform. Okay. Makes sense. So what do you find makes for a successful campaign then? Like if I want to speak about veganism on social media, how would I approach that? Yeah. So there's different kinds of campaigns out there. So um, when I think of a campaign, I think of a specific targeted goal in mind that is uh, reachable. Um, and, and then there's a different kind of uh, campaign, which is sort of like an ongoing form of advocacy. And I think of that more, I, I kind of call that advocacy. So you've got campaigns, you've got advocacy. So most of my efforts on social media are vegan advocacy, trying to get people to go vegan, to learn about how animals are being treated, to you know want to make differences in, in animals' lives through their food choices and behavior choices. Um, then there's campaigns, which are often um, targeting one individual, one group, um, one, with one particular goal in mind. And so an, an example of a campaign might be to get a certain restaurant chain to uh, stop serving uh, eggs from hens who have kept in cages. So uh, that could be a campaign. And that's something that um, I have some experience um, helping out with and my time with uh, the Humane League, especially, which is a group that I joined after vegan outreach um, before leaving about three and a half years ago. And so um, that's kind of the campaign. But if we're talking about just general advocacy, which I think you're getting at, Nicole, is that with vegan advocacy, you want to, um, first of all, realize that most people don't know what we know. So as vegans, uh, I think that we sometimes can forget that everybody is on their own journey. And most people know only a tiny fraction of what we know about the horrors of animal agriculture, but almost just as importantly, they also don't understand how easy it is to be vegan in 2022 and beyond. And for many, many years, we thought that the idea of going vegan was, or most people thought, even a lot uh, ourselves thought going vegan was basically impossible. Um, for me, before I went vegan 14 years ago, I thought the concept was cool. I didn't. But did I think I could do it? Hell no. <laughs> I thought that there was no way that I could, I could ever go vegan. And I mean, that's me, somebody who loved animals and 
um, thought the concept was cool. For people out there who maybe don't love animals as much or, or don't necessarily think the concept is cool, I mean, the odds, odds of them thinking that they could go vegan are so small. And so that's the state of the world that we live in. We live in a world where most people just don't know what's going on and they don't know how they can help. And so for us as vegan advocates who want to use social media, we can reach those people by smashing those two myths. One, teaching people that farm animals don't live good lives. And that, and number two, that there's this really great, easy way of living that matches the values that you already have. Right. Well said. If somebody wants to become an animal advocate and they're going on to social media, let's say they have an ongoing campaign. It could be for endangered animals. It could be for being vegan. How do you decide which platform to use? I try to spread my energy around um, according to the value that each social media platform offers me. Okay. So for example, my biggest reach and impact as an advocate is Twitter. I have a pretty big audience on Twitter and that's where I can most easily reach people and where I have like the most dedicated supporters. Secondary is Facebook. And then my tertiary platform, my, my third platform is Instagram. And that's quite a bit lower um, because one, uh, my audience isn't as big there. Uh, and then for two, um, it is uh, maybe not as strong of supporters on that platform. And then also, I just don't love Instagram as much because there isn't a share function. So people can't really share my posts externally. Right. right. Um, That's true. Yeah. And so, um, so when I'm thinking about, hey, I want to help animals today. I want to do vegan advocacy where can I mo focus my efforts? I try to focus most of my energy on Twitter and Facebook with a little bit on, on Instagram. So um, that is the kind of approach people should take is where they have their, the most value. But this is going to be a little bit different for everybody because everybody has different value, you know, is going to place a different value on different platforms. And so what you really have to ask yourself is which platforms are you most comfortable with? Which platforms have you already built up? Um, and which platforms has, have the most potential value in your efforts. And mm -hmm. especially when it comes to what kind of content you're choosing to get out there. So for me, a lot of the content that I push out there is animal cruelty stuff. Talking about how factory farming is abusing animals and so on. That is going to be hard to translate to a platform like TikTok, which is very like, happy, very quick, positive videos, right. sometimes focused on dancing and like um, uh, songs and song competitions. And to get my animal cruelty stuff to work well on that, it's a big ask. And so for that reason, I don't focus much energy on TikTok. But if there's somebody listening to this who is a musician, and they happen to, you know, maybe write songs about veganism and animal rights. Um, and they might be able to take that and create cool TikTok videos that could perform well on TikTok. And so maybe they want to focus more of their energy on a platform like TikTok. And so, um, Nicole, that's a very long-winded way of saying that there is no 
catch-all answer for everybody. It's going to be different for everybody, but everybody, but every single animal advocate should really look at and ask themselves those questions to, to determine where they should be focusing their energy. Yeah. I think just personally for me, I like Twitter because it's, it's quick. I can get a video or a picture out and say something that is, doesn't need to be long-winded. Um, but I also do like the ability to use like Facebook or Instagram to share a story or give an explanation. So I, yeah, like you said, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of, it's hard to really define what works best, but um, I totally understand what you're saying with that. And I, and I do like for your Twitter account, like, yeah, you give these videos or you have a picture or something and people get the message. Right. Yes. Away. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't wake up one day and I had a bunch of Twitter followers. Like it took me many years of building my platform up. Um, and it took many years of constantly tweaking my approach. So a tweak here, tweak there, tweak here, tweak there to really get my approach to be what it is today. And part of that approach is um, posting content that I know is going to make a difference like that. And understanding that most people on social media and pretty much everywhere in life these days have short attention spans. And they're only spending a small amount of time um, scrolling through their phone looking at your particular post. And so you really want to say as many, as much as you can in as few words as possible. Right. And a great way of doing that is and helping simplify your messages by using emojis, but also most importantly, using good content, content that's going to make the biggest impact. And that's often bringing out emotions in people. So, you know, don't just use a random photo of, uh, your dog or of a pig, use one that you think your audience is going to see and be immediately impacted by and want to take action, such as liking your tweet, replying your tweet, or of course, retweeting your tweet. Yeah. I like that point, bringing out emotions for people too, because it is quick, especially on Twitter. They're just flying through their feed people. Generally, I know I am. Um, and so when you catch that video or that picture and it just opens you up, you're going to spend some time looking at it and reading what that person has to say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That can often be the first thing that it really catches them is they'll see that media and you know, that photo or video, and then they'll read your caption from there. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's lots of times people are scrolling through the Twitter feed or any social media feed, and they're just skipping over the things that are just text. Um, they, they're focusing on consuming, you know, uh, like a photo or a video or something like that. Right, right, right. I know, I know for me personally, that's what catches me all the time. It's not necessarily the text. It's yes. That picture that's grabbing me or that video. Yep. Same. Okay. So in that, in that light, how, how can we as advocates reach more people? Like what? You know, I sometimes feel like, what else can I do to reach more people to spread my word about what I feel is, you know, important for animals and nature? So how do, how do you have any small suggestions for me? Yeah. Well, for Nicole, anybody else? 
this kind of goes on to something we were talking about earlier, which is how advocacy is often a numbers game. And we want to reach the most, the, the largest amount of people as we can. And that's because you know, a lot of people just don't know how animals are being treated or the horrors that animals in factory farms in nature are facing. And right. people want to make a difference and people don't want to support needless cruelty and suffering. And that's where we come in. We want to get people to be impacted. And for that reason, we can use social media to our advantage. You know, never before in the history of humankind have we been able to get a message seen by people on the other side of the globe in an instant and to have such a global influence as regular people. You don't need to have a lot of political power to do this. You don't have to have a lot of social capital or social power. You don't have to have a lot of money. You can just be a regular Joe Schmo, as they say, and get this content to be seen by lots of people by strategically using the platforms that are at our fingertips on our phones, these apps called Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and so on. And so for the average animal advocate who wants to get people to see um, what's going on in the world, of course, use social media, but furthermore, use um, social media in a way that is focused on reaching as many people as possible. So you want to expand outside of your so circle of friends, family, and colleagues. So think about Facebook, for example. There's a good chance you might have a few dozen, a few hundred, maybe a few thousand friends on Facebook. And the vast majority of those are your friends, your family, your colleagues, and so on. And reaching them is great. But if you really want to make the biggest impact possible, reaching people outside of the circle is ideal. And the best way to do that on social media is to get people to share your posts. So if you tweet, get people to retweet you. If you post a Facebook, get people to share your Facebook post. Um, and How that is so it. Yeah, so that's that's where it, there's no simple answer. I mean, that's the reason <laughs> I've that's the reason I've created multiple online courses because it's a lot. But yeah. there are a few things that you should keep in mind when it comes to getting shares. So for one, of course, have a public account. So and make your make these posts public. So if you have a Twitter account, don't yes. have it be private. I mean, people then you're only going to reach people inside your circle. Right. When you're posting on Facebook, make sure it's public. Um, of course, you know, you may have really good reasons that a private profile and absolutely need to then keep it private. But if you can have your, pro your profile public, then do so. Um, and, you know, there's, for one, post good content. People aren't interested in sharing content that isn't interesting. So post content that gets people to feel something. So we talked about this earlier. Don't just post a random photo or video you find. Post one that you think your audience is going to actually engage with. And remember that it's you versus the algorithm. So mm -hmm. 10 years ago, there wasn't an algorithm, okay? You post something to social media, it goes to the top of the feeds of the people who follow you. And you didn't have to worry about anything. Then social media companies realized that, wow, we want people to spend as much time on these platforms as possible, right? It's how we make money through advertising. 
So let's come up with a way to do that. And the way that they did that was by developing algorithms that are designed to put content in front of your eyes that they think you want to see. And that means that uh, your posts are essentially in competition with every other post on the social media platform. And so when you post something to Instagram, let's say somebody follows you who follows 99 other accounts, okay? So you're one of 100 accounts, okay? You are in competition with the posts from all those other 99 accounts. And you need your content to stand out. So you need to ask yourself constantly, is this something my audience is going to engage in? You really need to put yourself in your audience's shoes. So don't just ask yourself, is this something that I find interesting? Ask yourself, is this something that my audience will find interesting? And it'll take time to figure this out. I can't tell you how many times that I thought my audience is going to love this in a post bomb. <laughs> And right. then I thought right. another time, I thought this post is kind of garbage, but you know, I'm in a hurry. I've got to get it out there. I'll just post it. And then I come back an hour or two later and it's got hundreds of retweets or, you know, hundreds of likes on Instagram or something. And so sometimes, you know, there's, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it, so social media can surprise you. And there are so many other tips and tricks that we could get into, um, in general, you really want to just focus on content that's going to perform well and to focus on what is working and what isn't on social media. So focus on what's working well in your own social media platform. So go back in your own post and see what performed well, see what didn't perform well, learn from that. And also look at your competitors. So even if somebody is all a fellow animal advocate and you love them and you love what they do, they are still technically a competitor of yours. You're competing for newsfeed space with them. Look at their posts and see what performs well for them and what doesn't perform well. In taking some time to do this, you are really going to become an expert in social media animal advocacy in no time. And that knowledge can help guide your efforts on these platforms. Really great information. Thank you for that, John. I find that sometimes... Maybe something that I've posted that didn't go very well. I think sometimes people don't want to know about things that are happening, right? I yeah, mean- yeah. I mean, people, you know, it, it's tough because we as vegan activists, we have this array of knowledge of horrible things. And we know that the vast majority of people out there are actively making decisions just about every single day that are causing these horrible problems in the world. And it can be uh, overwhelming. It could be disheartening. But we need to remember that everybody is on their own journey and we need to meet them where they are rather than where we want them to be. And for that reason, when you are doing vegan advocacy, you know, think about it from your audience's perspective. And who is the most important audience of yours? It's the non-vegans out there right? Because it's the non-vegans who are the ones who can go out there and make choices that are making a difference for animals. Vegans are already vegan, right? So you really need to appeal to people who aren't yet vegan. And that way you should make your, your information as palatable as possible. So like some part of me 
wants to just post the goriest, most brutal stuff possible on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram. But I know that if I do that, I'm just going to turn a lot of non-vegans off immediately. They're going to just immediately unfollow me or mute me or not engage with the post. Um, and so it's for that reason that I try and take this really hard hitting content and give it to people in a way that they can stomach. And so for that reason, you're really, again, meeting people where they are rather than where we want them to be, which is really crucial in terms of getting people to open their hearts and minds um, to our content and to our posts and social media presence and to our advocacy. I think that's a great point. Um, meeting people where they are, because, it, you know, anything that you're advocating for animals about, it's hard for a lot of people to look at and see the realities of what's happening to so many animals around the world. Um, so meeting people where they are, you know, kind of sliding in and showing something that maybe they can tolerate and look at and maybe give them some perspective on things. So that's a great point. I really, I'm going to take that to heart. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I have a question about petitions. I have two petitions out, one's for elephants and one's for endangered species, but I'm not sure if the people who have the power to make the change for these animals, I don't know if these petitions are helping to create some change. Do you feel petitions work or, and, or do you know which platforms seem to work the best? So I view petitions as one tool in our toolbox. And I don't think that um, any advocate should be overly focused on any one uh, area of advocacy like, like that's so specific, like petitions. I yeah. think that they should use petitions as a way of increasing their efforts to campaign. Now, when you think about uh, petitions, what's great about them is that they can um, uh, often take a life of their own. And actually, I have a history with petitions. So as far as animal advocacy, I actually don't have a ton of experience using petitions over the years. But my mom, um, she was battling cancer um, about uh, eight years ago. She was, her health insurance company was trying to kick her off and off of her health insurance and make her go, they're trying to make her like basically not be able to see the doctors that she'd been seeing and go somewhere else. And uh, we were really upset about this. And so uh, we started a petition with change.org and that petition ended up getting over, uh, 20,000 signatures and, uh, or no, I'm sorry, over a hundred thousand signatures. And, uh, awesome. and the, the company ended up basically just saying that we could, she could keep going to the place that, um, she had been, um, going. And so, uh, it was a real important lesson for me and the power that petitions have, um, and how social media can really help because social media is what really helped that get going. Like I posted about it and then like friends of mine would share it. And then it kind of um, ballooned from there, which and snowballed from there, which is quite beautiful. Now, as for using um, petitions, 
you want to focus on platforms that utilize links. So Twitter and Facebook utilize links well. Um, Instagram, not so much because there right. is, you know, uh, you can't have a clickable link within a caption. Um, you now can use them in stories, which is nice. Um, so there's a little bit more value than there, there, there than there was in the past. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's something to keep in mind. Um, now, when you are designing a petition, it's vitally important that you have two things you have kept in mind during this creation process. One is that the goal is realistic so uh, and specific. So you can't just create a, a petition that says end factory farming because right. that is not specific, okay? It needs to say end gestation crates for, egg, or for pregnant pigs or end battery cages for egg laying hens. Um, uh, and so it's gotta be specific. And it's gotta be, uh, number two is that it, it's actually gotta be winnable, okay? If it's not winnable, then people aren't gonna be excited about it. So again, if it's, you know, ban battery cages worldwide, you know, that is not gonna happen through a petition. And, uh, and so you really need to do this like, on a local level, you know, you need to be targeting individual companies or institutions or um, uh, grocery chains, things like that, um, and, and and have be realistic about your goals. Um, and the third thing I want to say that you really need to have with petitions is have the key decision makers targeted. So uh, uh, for a, let's say you're trying to get a grocery chain to stop selling um, eggs from hens who are kept in cages, okay? You don't just wanna target, uh, you know, info at xgrocerystore.com. Uh, you don't wanna just target random employees. You wanna do your research to identify who the key decision makers are and who knows. Maybe it could, it's probably going to be, you know, the executive board of that particular company, but who knows, maybe it could be a particular investor in the company. You know, maybe, you know, that some billionaire is a big investor in this company and you think that targeting them would be a good way to um, add extra pressure. Really think about who it is that you're targeting, because if your position is getting dozens, hundreds, or thousands of signatures, and they're just going to the inbox of some email account that doesn't really matter, then that's really, you know, uh, unfortunate because you're not, you're missing a big opportunity there to reach um, the people who can actually make the decisions for the particular petition that you have going. Thank you for that. That's one of the biggest takeaways so far that I've gotten out of our conversation is target, be specific, because I think one of my petitions is to, you know, it's to a government. So um, yeah, but I could maybe tweak, tweak it a little and make it more specific to somebody who is in a specific department. Yes. Who is a decision maker. Yep. Very good. That's awesome. I like that a lot. Thank you, John. You're welcome, Nicole. So 
I wanted to ask, um, because I know some people are involved with legislation. I myself have met with um, some legislators for um, some bills to be passed for animal welfare. What is your thought process on how the best way to engage with legislators? Have you had any background with it? So legislators are hugely powerful um, in terms of making decisions that help animals, help or can hurt animals. And I think that everybody should definitely um, not underestimate the importance of um, uh, advocacy in this realm. And, you know, I think that a lot of, uh, you know, I think that our community, our animal advocacy community can sometimes be a little bit splintered. We have people just focus exclusively on governmental affairs like that, but then people who just completely dismiss it. And I think it's, you know, we need somewhere, we need to be in the middle there and look at um, our legislative efforts as a big tool in the toolbox of our efforts. And there's a lot of potential to do a lot of good, but then a lot of potential to do, you know, a a lot of bad since we play defense. And uh, for example, right now, currently, Prop 12, which was one of the most all-encompassing animal welfare laws in the world that banned um, some really horrible factory farming practices in California, is being challenged and might be taken up by the Supreme Court and could get overturned. And as a result, um, undoing a tremendous amount of good for animals. Right. And so sometimes playing defense is important. Sometimes playing offense is important. But the important thing is to be positioning yourself as an animal advocate into these places. We need animal advocates all over the place, including meeting with legislators. And, you know, legislators, they often don't hear from their constituents enough. And animal issues are something that does drive a lot of activity around legislation and gets a lot of people riled up and wanting to make a difference. And you need your legislators to hear from you, especially as local as you can get. Because as local as you, I mean, every day there are thousands, probably millions of people who are tagging POTUS um, or you right. know, replying to President Biden's tweets or something. And I mean, there's a place for that. But like, if you really want to make a difference, you reach the people who are further down the chain, who have fewer people reaching out to them. So if you look at your local state senator, for example, you know, there's probably a few dozen people who are reaching out to them on a, on a daily basis. I'm just guessing here, but like you will really stand out. And oftentimes we have to remember that change comes from the bottom up, not the top down. And so it takes that like that, that hard work of reaching the base, or re- starting at the bottom and kind of working our way up. I think it's a really good um, thing that we need to remember about effective advocacy is change starts from the bottom up, not the top down. That's a very, very good point. Very good point. Just from my um, history with trying to get some legislation passed, I I agree that it does start from the bottom. I oftentimes have tried to um, engage people to call their state senator or state representative. And I think some people are a little gun shy 
with even just making a call. Do you have any suggestions for people like, you know, just to stand up and be a voice for people or for animals, how to engage with le legislators? Because I think sometimes it could be off-putting for some people. Yeah. So for one of me, I think every animal advocate needs to figure out what their form of advocacy is um, and balance that with the value, the potential value. So if you are absolutely petrified of the idea of calling your local state senator, then maybe don't do that and focus on maybe social media advocacy where you can be more behind the scenes. But if you could possibly stomach the idea of doing this, it could have a lot of value. So I definitely recommend doing it. Now, the important thing to remember is that change and just getting out there and doing things is the first time you're going to be harder than ever. And then you do it and you realize, wow, this isn't that hard. This is actually pretty easy. Or this actually was went, went much more smoothly than I could have expected. And you can um, then do more of that in the future and be more comfortable with that. And so um, for those of you who are listening to this, who know that reaching their local politicians could be beneficial, but you're kind of gun shy, just do it. Just force yourself out of your comfort zone the first time you will realize that it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. And you will feel good about your advocacy afterward. And you will want to keep on doing it, adding that important tool to your toolbox. Thank you, John, for saying that. <laughs> because I'm always asking people to call or email or tweet um, to their legislators. But like you said, you just got to do it that, you know, it's like ripping a bandaid off just the first time yeah. might be a little bit uncomfortable, but after that, it, it gets so much easier. And from what I do understand about, um, our relationships with legislators is that like email and social media outreach is, is, is okay. But like reaching you by phone or yeah. especially in person is exponentially more impactful. I and would agree. so especially hearing your voice and hearing the things that you're concerned about, that is the stuff that really is going to make a difference. And if a politician says, you know what, I got eight bills on my desk and seven of them, I haven't heard a squeak, but like this one bill about animals has had 23 people call me and leave me messages. I know that I need to support this bill. And so those kinds of things really do matter. So, uh, you know, again, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone is important. And, you know, I don't want to get too uppity here, but like pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone is absolutely nothing compared to the horrors that farm animals are experiencing 24 seven behind the closed doors of factory farms and slaughterhouses. Right. And so it's important that we remember that and that we push ourselves out of our comfort zones at times because our efforts can really mean life or death for animals. That was so well put because as you were saying that, you know, I had visualizations in my mind of what it looks like for a farm animal, what it feels like for an animal to feel threatened. And, you know, that little bit of fear that you have, um, if you can push past it, you know, having courage doesn't mean that you don't have fear. It's just being able to move beyond it and know that there's something more important than that fear that you're experiencing to speak to a legislator or a policymaker. That's beautifully put, Nicole. I love that. Yeah. Thank. Well, no, thank you. Thank you. Because that did. It, it, it was 
it was totally clicking in for me when you mentioned that. So I wanted to ask um, about Advocacy Collaborative. And could you give us listeners some background on that and how that could help us with our campaigning for animals? Absolutely. So my efforts with Advocacy Collaborative started uh, about a year and a half ago or so, so early 2021. And I looked, and so this is a, a, in a group that was started by my partner, Amanda Trenchard. And the idea is to create a place where um, animal advocates and advocates of all causes, but especially of animal, animal advocates, and environmental advocates, and, and people who are trying to make the world a kinder place to make um, advocacy more impactful to teach people and to give people the resources that they need to be more impactful. And after being an, a vegan advocate for 14 years, I can tell you vegan advocates want to be more impactful. I mean, that's why so many of your listeners are listening to this show right now. It's why you and I are chatting right now, Nicole, is because animal advocates want to make more of a difference for animals. And why? Because the world that farm animals face and all animals is a wretched one. And it, they, these animals need our help and they need our voices. They need our advocacy. And so Advocacy Collaborative was founded. And my um, main role with Advocacy Collab has been to create these online courses. They're self-guided online courses. Um, the first course launched focusing on Twitter. The second course is on Instagram. And the third course was a general course um, covering all of social media as a whole. And in these courses, I go in depth to talk about the ways in which animal advocates can utilize these powerful platforms to make the biggest impact possible. And you know, I'm a really big firm believer in constant improvement, always getting better, tweaking, 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 getting better and better and more and more impactful as time goes on. And Utilizing social media is so incredibly impactful. I mean, again, that's why your listeners have listened, you know, sat through the, you know, this thirst first 30, 40, 50 minutes of this podcast of this, of this you know, interview is because they care about um, the efforts that they're doing for animals on social media and beyond. And so these courses offer advocates the tools and resources that they want and need to become better advocates using these platforms. And students enrolling in these courses learn a lot about how they can take their game to the next level. And that brings me a lot of joy and excitement and optimism for the future of animal advocacy. Thank you so much, because that is very impactful. And I know for personally for myself, and I'm, I'm sure other listeners will feel the same way, that having this, these classes to learn more from, to become more impactful, to learn how to tweak, how to get better, how to reach more people. I mean, that is what, like you said, animal advocates are striving for, is to make the world a better place for animals. And having this in our pot back pocket is going to be so significant. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the reason that, you know, we've created the courses. We see people care about this. They care about these issues. They want to be better. And so, you know, we've, we've seen a need 
and um, have filled this need with these courses. And so for anybody listening to this who wants to enroll in the courses, um, the Mastering Social Media Changer World, which is the general course, that's the newest one. It's, it's, it's a bit smaller than the others, but we actually offer free enrollment as an option for anybody who can't afford full enrollment. Um, so there's the, the coupon codes right there on the um, checkout page. Use code free. You can get free enrollment. Um, but of course, anybody who can afford enrollment, we'd appreciate the support. Um, took a lot of effort and resources to create these courses. Um, uh, is a lot of work to create an online course. I'll tell I you that. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and so it's been a very exciting development that's uh, gone and uh, gone on in our lives recently. And so that's one of uh, some things that I'm, I'm excited about with animal advocacy. That's wonderful. And and. I'd like to say thank you for just even offering something for free for people. That's very gracious um, if they can't afford it, but do want to make a difference for animals. Yeah. Yeah. You know, happy to um, make, you know, our goal is to get animal advocates just to be as impactful and as effective as possible. And, you know, I know I said, I said that a few times already, but that's because it's so freaking important and it's something yeah. that every animal advocate really needs to be doing. And it's not like, you know, I'm saying that you need to spend 10 more hours a week. Um, you know, stop focusing on your personal life or, or, you know, you know, go part-time at your job because I want you to spend more hours. It's really just taking the time you're already spending on social media, um, and using it better, using it more effectively. And that's what it right. all comes down to just being more effective with the time that you're already spending on social media and beyond. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I have one last question for you. So I'm sure listeners, and I know that you may feel this, I'm assuming you probably feel the same is that advocating for animals can be very emotional. Um, in all of your years of being an animal advocate, what have you learned helps for your mental and emotional well-being? Was well, actually funny that you just asked me this question, Nicole, because literally just today we have a blog post that went up on the advocacycollab.com blog about burnout. And it's five tips to avoid burnout for vegan activists. And burnout is a real thing. So in my 14 years of vegan advocacy, I have been uh, a... Um, I've seen many, many people come and go. I've seen people who are all on board with vegan activism as their full-time job or as their like full-time passion 24-7. And in just a couple of years, they kind of burn out and they stop pursuing this advocacy um, full-time. And some of these people even go back to not being vegan anymore, oh, wow. which is certainly heartbreaking. And so the thing is, burnout can happen to any of us. We really need to take to we really need to um, do what we can to avoid it. And one of those reasons, one of those things. I mean, I definitely recommend reading this blog post that we just did. But one of the things that we can do is just by having outside interests. So it's important to have passions that aren't involved with animal advocacy because we need something else to kind of provide balance in our lives. Um, for me, I love playing soccer. I, I play soccer multiple times a week and, uh, and I'm a big, you know, I, I watch some soccer. Um, I've, I've been a big fan for, for many, many years. And so, 
Um, that's a way that I provide balance in my own personal life is by having this. And I, I know it sounds counterintuitive, right? Um, to have me on the show and, and talk about how important vegan advocacy is. But then I'm like, hey, also focus on this other stuff that has nothing to do with vegan advocacy. No, but it true. is important to have balance in your life. And then to kind of go even deeper in terms of like the question you specifically asked about how we can stay positive. And that is to just focus on the good that you can do rather than the negative that you can't do. Because there are always going to be bad things happening that are out of your control. And all you can do is focus on what's within your control. And if you focus only on the negative that is outside your control, this is whatever cause you believe in, really. Um, Even if you're not an activist or advocate of any cause, you just see bad stuff going on. If you only focus on that, then you are going to probably be pretty miserable. And that's not going to make you the best advocate, right? So you need to focus on the things that are within your control. And so for me, I know that I'm not going to create a vegan world. You know, I probably won't see a vegan world in my lifetime. But what I can do is get a lot of people to learn about the horrors of factory farming and to be inspired to live in a way that reflects the values that people realize they already have, such as eating food that doesn't contain animal products because animal products lead to animal suffering. And, you know, I don't think I'll create 10 million vegans in my lifetime, but, you know, with the efforts that I'm putting in, hopefully I'll have created thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of vegans, who knows? And so um, the idea is to just really focus on what is within our control and the efforts that we can do on social media and beyond for animals who need our voices so desperately. Again, you, you got me with focus on what you can control because I have a tendency to get frustrated about things that are completely out of my control. There's nothing I can do. And then I, you know, feel depressed or I get upset and, you know, just get in a slump. Yeah. I mean, there is no, you know, there is no magic wand. I mean, I I also get frustrated too at times and, and, uh, uh, you know, it's not uh, a perfect way of, of a perfect mindset by any means, but just as much as you can try to have that mindset where you're like, okay, this is upsetting, but it's out of my control. I've done all I can. I am going to move on and focus on this area where I know I can make a difference. Yeah. And I think that's another great point, you know, try focus, refocus, refocus your, what you're looking at and look, look at something else that you can help with. Great, great, great points. John, thank you so much. You have really enlightened me today with all of your information and all of these tools that we could use to become more effective animal advocates. Well, thanks, Nicole. This has been a real pleasure talking with you and an honor of being on All About Animals Radio and love the work that you're doing. I'm also excited that you've enrolled in the course. Yes, I am. And excited to hear how that goes for you. And uh, I'm excited to hopefully connect with any of your listeners. If anybody wants to follow me on social media, um, I'm at John Oberg. That's J-O-H-N-O-B-E-R-G. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all there, hopefully at one of my courses, which is our advocacycollab.com.
Thank you, John. It's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Nicole. Keep up the great work, Brandable.